He is risen. Yeah, let's try that one more time, all right? I'm going to say he is risen, and you respond with he is risen indeed, okay? The church has been doing this for like 2,000 years, so I think we can get it here this morning, all right? He is risen. Amen and amen. Uh, well, good morning and uh, welcome to our Easter services here at Harmony Bible Church. My name is Chris Carr and I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here at Harmony. I'm incredibly thankful that you have decided to join us uh, in celebrating uh, the most important uh, event in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I hope that our time uh, together today helps you to experience the love of God in a greater way than you ever have before. I do want to take a moment to welcome in our Burlington and Fort Madison campuses. It's great uh, that through the gift of technology, even though we're we're, uh, uh, meeting in three locations this morning, that we can gather around the study of God's Word as one church. And uh, speaking of God's Word, uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Romans chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 21 uh, through 31 uh, today. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, uh, feel free to uh, use your mobile device or to grab one of those chair Bibles, and you can turn to page 737 in those Bibles. While you're finding your way uh, to Romans chapter 3, I just want to highlight that next Sunday we're going to take a brief pause in our study of the book of Romans uh, to do a series on the making of a godly legacy. So if I could say this to you, we we are all in the process, every single one of us, of uh, leaving something behind, making a a mark. And as Christians, as believers, we want to make a mark. We want to leave a legacy that's going to have an eternal impact. So every moment of every single day that we live, we are leaving something behind. And so this is a rather urgent issue or topic, and we're going to take four weeks to, to do a deep dive on what the Bible has to say about leaving a legacy. And I just want to encourage you, this is not just for parents and grandparents, uh, it's for children, it's for teenagers, it's for college students, it's for young adults, uh, because again, your life matters. Uh, and deep in your heart, you want your life to matter long after you are gone. And so please uh, join us uh, for this series. Uh, with that said, today, um, here on Easter Sunday, we're going to continue to talk about the core message of Christianity. If you're visiting with us today, can I just say, we're so glad that you're here, uh, and it's so good that you're here because you're going to hear today what the core message of Christianity is. Now, I say continue because we, we began talking last week about what's known as justification by faith. And justification by faith has to do with how God justifies sinful people through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. So, uh, last Sunday was part one, uh, today is part two, but since uh, last Sunday was, was kind of meaty, we might say, uh, let me take a few minutes to review what we learned last week. Our text uh, for these two weeks is Romans three twenty one through 31, which is largely considered to be the greatest text in the entire Bible, which, which honestly make, makes it the greatest piece of literature that's ever been written. And the key word that the Apostle Paul uses in this passage is the word justified. Now, the word justified is a legal term. It's a term from the courtroom, and it means the basic meaning uh, is to be declared not guilty, but righteous. Not guilty, but righteous, so that 
in justification, God takes sinful people and he declares them to be not guilty but righteous in his sight so that they now have a right relationship with him forever. Now, there are two key words that can help, I think, uh, can be really helpful in, in our understanding of justification, and they are the words acquittal and acceptance. When God justifies us, he acquits us of all the charges that could be brought against us because of our sin, and at the same time, he then accepts us into a relationship with him, a relationship that we will have uh, forever. Now, Another word, one that you're more familiar with for justification, is the word salvation. You've all heard that word, probably relatively familiar with it, uh, and you're less familiar with justification, and yet justification is a word that we all need to become intimately familiar with. Now, here's why, all right? Justification tells us that there is more to our salvation than simply avoiding hell and going to heaven when we die. So, so that is true about salvation. We're all thankful about that. But justification tells us that salvation isn't just about what happens to us in the future, it's also about what happens to us in the present. And there are many ways that justification does that, but two highly significant ones are that justification, get this, erases our guilt while simultaneously giving us the resources that we need to deal with our shame. Now, I don't know many of you well, and there's some that of you I don't know at all. In fact, a lot of you that I don't know at all, but here's what I know about all of us. All of us have an inner voice that regularly condemns us, and it tells us because we've done wrong and or been the victim of wrong that we are at our core wrong. We all deal with condemnation, and we all deal with shame. Here's, by the way, here's how I know it. I know that we all deal with this because we're all wearing clothes this morning. Let me explain what I mean. Genesis chapter 2, the very beginning of creation. There are two perfect people that God makes, and Genesis 2.25 says that they are naked and unashamed. This is before sin comes into the world. Naked and unashamed. No guilt, no condemnation, no shame whatsoever. But then we turn the page to Genesis chapter 3. They decide to sin, and the first thing that they do when they decide to sin is they run away, they hide, and they put on clothes. Why? Because they're dealing with their guilt, their condemnation, and their shame. And so that's, by the way, I'm thankful that you're wearing clothes today, okay? But that symbolizes that that you deal with shame. Now, if you're like, let me say this, some people don't deal with shame. Let me tell you this. People that don't deal with shame are sociopaths, all right? And I don't think any of you are, so I'm not calling any of you that. But if you, you can't feel guilt or condemnation or shame when you do something wrong, that means something is really wrong, all right? So none of us are there. But we deal with guilt and we deal with shame. And the wonderful thing about justification is that it frees us from condemnation by removing our guilt and it gives us a new identity, a new identity where we can be assured that we're completely forgiven, totally accepted, and an unconditionally loved child of God. When God justifies us, he casts our sins into the depths of the sea. And as Corey Ten Boom once wrote, puts up a sign that says, no fishing. No fishing of those sins. No bringing them back up again. And at the same time, God pronounces that we're not, get this, wrong and worthless, but rather right and worthy. So that inner voice that you have that condemns you, that inner voice that says that you are wrong, that you are worthless, justification takes care of that voice, or at least gives you what you need to battle that voice, because what it does, 
excuse me, it allows you to be able to see yourself the way that God sees you, which is right and worthy. Now, we could talk about this a lot more, and we really will here in a few minutes, but for now, uh, we need to keep on moving and talk about the most important thing we learned last week, and that's how God does all of these wonderful things for us, how God acquits us and accepts us. And in summary, here's how God does it. He does it by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Justification is a gift that God freely gives us. We don't have to do anything for it. Isn't that wonderful, by the way? We don't have to earn it. We don't have to be good religious people, all right? We simply have to receive it through faith. So it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and that faith is in Jesus Christ alone. We just have to trust that through Jesus' death, he frees us from the power and penalty of sin. He turns God's wrath from us, and he enables God to acquit and accept us. That is the only way that justification becomes a reality in our lives. It's only by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. So that was last week, and now this morning, we're going to home in on verses 27 through 31, where Paul gives three implications of justification by faith. This morning, uh, the Apostle Paul is going to show us how we apply the core message of Christianity, this justification by faith, to our lives. And he's going to tell us that justification by faith means three things. Here are those three things. He's going to tell us that justification by faith means that boasting is excluded, that number two, everyone is included, and then number three, righteousness is imputed. There's your outline for today, all right? A boasting is excluded, everyone is included, righteousness is imputed. If you're wondering what imputed means, I'll explain it at the end of the message, all right? For now, all right, justification by faith means that boasting is excluded. Look at verses 27 and 28. Paul writes this, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. We're going to start in verse 28 because it provides the sentence that holds the entirety of verses 21 through 31 together. And if I can just say this to you, if you're somebody who underlines or highlights in your Bible, underline, highlight verse 28. It's one of the most important uh, things that literally has ever been written in history because it tells us that justification is by faith alone, that a person is justified by faith apart from anything they do. That phrase, works of law, refers not only to the Mosaic law, think that the Ten Commandments, but by extrapolation to anything a person does. So what Paul is saying here is that there is nothing that we do. There, there's nothing in us there's nothing about us, there's nothing done by us that contributes to God saving us in any way. We are saved very simply because God in His love for us decides to show us grace and we receive that gift simply by placing our faith, by trusting in what Jesus did on the cross in our place. This is why Paul says in verse 27 that boasting is excluded. That word excluded means shut out, or we might say shut up. Justification by faith shuts up all boasting we might do in regard to how something about us or in us or done by us justifies us, makes us right, saves us. 
Now let's talk about boasting for a little bit, all right? And I want to make two observations about boasting. First of all, boasting is something that when we see it in other people, it can be really distasteful to us, right? So, for example, when, when I see an NBA player uh, celebrating like he just won the NBA championship after he makes one single three-pointer, I just want to throw my shoe at the TV. Now, maybe that's because I'm jealous, partly because I'm jealous, but maybe it's also because if I had done that when I was playing basketball in high school, my coach would have set me on the bench immediately, and maybe for the entirety of my career, I may have never seen the court again. Don't, I think that's kind of funny, don't you? No? All right. Help me out. Right. But, but in all seriousness, when I was playing, and I, I know right now I sound like the old grumpy guy who shows up at uh, Saturday morning basketball and reminisces about the way it used to be, uh, but when I made a basket in high school, the next thing I knew that I needed to do was run back to the other end to actually play defense. Anybody want to say amen about that? All right. So anyway, let me, I'll get off of that, all right? But here, here's the thing. Um, I love it when our culture gives me great illustrations. And we had a great illustration of boasting just last Sunday afternoon, do we not? You all remember what happened last Sunday afternoon in the women's NCAA championship final when Angel Reese decided that she was going to, to, to boast about how they were just about to win the game. You all know about, you all watch the game, right? We all know what's going on here. There's actually somebody in first service from Iowa who didn't know who Clay, Caitlin Clark was. I can't believe that, right? That's like heresy around here, isn't it? <laughs> but there's a lot of people, probably a lot of people even in this room, who reacted very strongly to what Angel Reese did last Sunday. And yet the truth and the reality is, is that we all are guilty of boasting as well. Now, I realize you may have never gone up to somebody and said, I can't see me, can't see me. And you may have not have uh, outwardly been braggadocious. But the truth is, is that according to the Apostle Paul, we are all guilty of boasting. Let me show you how that is the case. The word for boasting in verse 27 okay, refers to expressing a high degree of confidence in, a high degree of confidence in. And we have all, we all do put a high degree of confidence in something. Our morality, our religion, our looks, our marriage, our boyfriend or girlfriend, our kids, our intelligence, our money, our success. The things that we boast in are the things that make us feel like we're somebody. They are the things that enable us to face the day. They're the things that we look for to find our identity and self-worth. Let me give an example here. One of the main characters in the movie Chariots of Fire is a guy by the name of Harold Abrahams. Harold Abrahams is um, training to run the 100 meters at the 1924 uh, Olympics. And, and uh, he was interviewed one time, and their uh, question that was asked him is, why do you train so hard? Why do you day after day get up at the crack of, of dawn and train for hours on end? And here's how Abrahams responded. He said this. He said, when that gun goes off, I only have 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. That's boasting, and that's the kind of boasting Paul's talking about, and it's the kind of boasting all of us are prone to. Let me help you to discern what you boast in. What makes you angry or anxious 
or depressed or stressed when you don't have it or you think that you're going to lose it? What do you have to have in order to be happy? What is that thing, if you don't have it, that life doesn't seem worth living? Whatever that is, that is what you are boasting. That's what you're putting your confidence in. Let me share one of the things that is for me. Uh, one of the things that is for, actually I've got numerous things. I could talk about this for hours. I, I won't just give you one. It's actually what I'm doing right now. So it's really easy for me to live and to die by the Sunday morning sermon. So I have a real need, and, and you don't need to come up to me and say good or bad at the end. You say bad if you want. You don't need to say good, all right? But I have a real, real need to, to feel or hear affirmation that this thing that I spend hours and hours and pour my whole heart and life into, that, that I'm actually achieving something, I'm actually doing good. And it's really easy for me to live and to die by how I'm doing. And so if the, the sermon, I feel like the sermon is going, good. Sunday afternoon would be great. I could be on a high. And if it doesn't go good or I don't think it goes good, then I can be in what John Bunyan calls in the Pilgrim's Progress, the slew of despond. Now, based upon how it's going so far, this afternoon is going to be really tough, okay? <laughs> but if you've never done something like this, you, you might not understand, but, but we all have that thing that we look to to determine if we really are somebody, sometimes it's our work. Sometimes it's whether or not we have enough money in the bank where we can achieve. Sometimes it's our retirement plan. For a lot of us, at times, it's our, our looks. How are, we, how are we looking? It can be how our marriage is going. For a lot of people, it's our kids. If our kids are doing well, we're doing well. And if our kids are not doing well, we are an utter and total wreck. Now, I'm not saying that any of these things aren't important and we shouldn't want them to go well. But there's a difference between wanting them to go well and having to have them go well. And if it has to go well, then that's what you are boasting in. And, and here's the bad news about what we boast in. There's a couple of pieces of bad news. For one, what we boast in cannot deliver for us. It cannot give us the self-worth and the identity and the salvation that we're looking for. Why is that the case? Well, because all of these things are fickle. They're fleeting. If we look, okay, for our identity in our looks, can I just tell you, especially young people, it's going to go. It's going to go, okay? <laughs> it's going to go. I, I used to actually, believe it or not, have a decent head of hair, all right? And I can just tell you, if you put your, put your you know, all your eggs in that basket, you're going to be in trouble. And I have somebody uh, in my life who regularly reminds me that I am bald, just like literally every day, loves to do it. All right? And so the great thing is, is that my uh, identity is not in my hair, and so I'm okay. Still hurt, kind of hurts on that, but anyway, whatever. But we, we all, if you're serious here, we all have these things. And the big, big problem here, though, is this, is that the things that we boast in cannot justify us. They cannot save us. They cannot make us right before God. On that final day, and there is a final day coming, we are all going to die. We are all going to stand before the Lord one day. And when we stand before him, we're not going to be able to boast that we had a great head of hair or that we had so much money in, in, in the bank or that our kids did so great and, and wonderful or that we were so successful in our business or so we were so attractive or any of those kind of things. Those things won't save us. They won't measure up. They will not cause God to say, welcome into my kingdom. See, there's only one thing that can do this for us. There's only one thing that can save us, and that is what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. 
To put it another way, there's only one thing we can boast in that will truly justify us, that will truly give us the self-worth and the identity and the salvation that we're looking for, and that's the cross of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul says in Galatians 6, 14, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So if I can say this to you, you're going to boast in something. And you're going to boast in something because that's what you were created. We were all created to find our confidence in something. And so it's actually not wrong to boast. The question is, is what are you going to boast in? If you're going to boast in something that you do, something about you, something that you have internally in, in you, then ultimately you're going to be disappointed. You're always going to be longing to find your identity and your self-worth and your salvation, and you're never going to be sure that you have it. And some of you have lived your entire life on the hamster wheel of trying to find your identity, your self-worth, and your salvation in you, and it's not going to be in you. And the reason it's not going to be in you, because you're your problem. And since you're your problem, you can't be your solution. And I'm just saying, I'm not saying about you, I'm saying about me. I am my, you know who the, 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 my biggest problem is? It's me, by far. And so, if my biggest problem is me, then I need a solution outside of myself. And that solution is found in one place. It's found in the cross of Jesus Christ. So, it's not about boasting. It's rather about boasting in the cross. Now, how does boasting in the cross give us a self-identity and worth? Well, it's because of this. It's when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, then what was true of Him becomes true of us. And what becomes true of him becomes true of us in the sense that now God looks at us and he says, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. So think about it this way. If you look for your self-identity and worth and salvation and how much money you have, it's, you're, you're going to ro- go on a roller coaster. Think about the stock market, all right? And how the stock market just goes up and down and up and down, especially in the last couple of years. That's what it's like if you're putting your self-identity and your self-worth in anything other than Jesus. But when you put it in Jesus, when you boast in Him, there's no up and down. It's all up. Or think about it this way. We are all longing and we're looking for praise. We want to be praised. We want to have accolades. We want to be affirmed. All of us do, and by the way, if you're saying, I don't really care about that, actually what you're telling me is you care about it more than you think, a lot more than you think. And so here's the thing, you can know that you have affirmation, that you have accolades, that you have the praise of God, and you will have it forever, and nothing will be able to take it away from you. And here's the great thing about this, is that when your identity and your self-worth and your salvation is in God, that allows you to demote all of these other things that you look for for your self-identity, worth, and salvation. It, It enables you to look at your money and say, if I have money, that's great, but if I don't, I'm okay. And it enables you to look at your marriage and you say, I want my marriage to go great. I hope it's going to go great. I'm going to work for it to go great. But if it doesn't go great and there are troubles, that's okay because I can't lose this affirmation that I'm going to have by God. And you can apply this to every area of your life. Now, with that said, here's what I want you to hear, though. I want you to hear that this truth that I'm talking about to you today can be true for you. And that's the second point that Paul makes. The second implication of justification by faith is that everyone is included. Justification by faith means that this can be true for everyone. 
So I apologize for all the sports analogies uh, here this morning, uh, but as we sit here today, there's a very famous golf tournament that's going on down in Georgia. It's the Masters, and the Masters is held every year at the Augusta National Golf Club, one of the most exclusive clubs in the world. At any one time, there are only 300 members that are allowed into Augusta. Um, and membership is by invitation only, and the dues are, well, let's just say pricey. So for around 300K, okay, and then 30,000 a year, you can be a member of Augusta if you happen to be invited, and the membership list doesn't get over 300. So you know what this means? It means you ain't getting into Augusta. <laughs> None of us are getting into go- to, to Augusta. None of us are actually ever going to wear a green jacket. But that's not the case when it comes to justification by faith. Justification by faith is for everyone. Look at what Paul says in verses 29 and 30. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Here's what Paul's saying in these verses. It's very simple. If justification comes through what we do, like obeying the law and being circumcised, then only the Jews are saved because the Jews are the one who received the law and the circumcision. And by the way, that's what Jews believed, and some of them still believe that today. They believe they're the only ones that can be saved. However, Paul says that because justification is by faith, then it's not only for Jews, but also for Gentiles. It's for everyone. It's for us. It's for all of us. Every person who is within the sound of my voice here today, this justification by faith is for you. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter how much you have messed up. Doesn't matter how deep your guilt and your shame Justification by faith is for you. And again, all you got to do is trust. All you got to believe is that God gives it to you and receive that gift for free. So, uh, like membership in Augusta National, justification by faith is by invitation only. However, unlike Augusta National, justification by faith is an invitation that God gives to everyone, to everyone. God invites everyone to be in his family, and he invites us to join for free. He invites us to join simply by receiving the gift of justification through faith in Jesus. Here's the thing. There are membership dues into God's family, into heaven. But the wonderful truth about the gospel and justification by faith is that Jesus paid those dues for you. There's a massive due. Like, like the, the, the debt that you have to pay, the due you have to pay to actually get into heaven is massive, but Jesus paid it on your behalf. So the question is, is now you're offered this membership, will you receive it? And all you have to do, again, is to receive it by faith. And that leads to number three. The third and final implication of justification by faith is this. Justification by faith means that righteousness is imputed. Take a look at verse 31. Do we then overthrow, think, abolish, or get rid of the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold, think, keep the law. By no means uh, is one of the Apostle Paul's uh, favorite expressions. 
And he always uses it when he is talking about something that he considers to be unthinkable, when he's objecting to it. And what's unthinkable to the Apostle Paul here is that God's law will be abolished, that justification by faith would make it null and void. To put it another way, what's unthinkable to Paul is that justification by faith will mean that the law no longer matters. Quite the contrary, however, says Paul. He says that instead of abolishing the law, through justification by faith, the law is upheld. The law is kept. Now, let me explain what this means, and I'll be be very brief. But the first thing uh, I want to say before I do that is I want to emphasize that everything that we've talked about the last two weeks comes down to this. This is huge, so please listen carefully. Jesus Christ came to this earth. Jesus Christ is God himself. But because of God's love for us, for his fallen creation, he sent his son to take on human flesh. So God became a man. And he came to this earth and he lived a perfectly law-abiding life. Jesus never disobeyed God's law even one single time. He never sinned once. Not at all. And justification by faith means that when we place our faith in Jesus... God gives Jesus' perfect record to us so that now we are seen to have kept the law. We don't keep the law. None of us, not even close. We haven't even kept it today already. And yet, when we place our faith in Jesus, God gives us Jesus' perfect record. So he now treats us, not on the basis of what we have done, but on the, way, on the basis of what Jesus did in his perfect life. Now, the biblical term for this is imputation. God imputes our unrighteousness to Jesus and imputes Jesus' righteousness to us. Now, the word impute is an accounting term. So it's very, very simple. Just think of what happens when um, you deposit a check or you deposit something from your Venmo into your bank account. That amount is credited to your account. And in imputation... Our sin, our unrighteousness, all of our brokenness is imputed, credited to Jesus' account, and his perfect life, his perfect record-keeping is credited, imputed to us. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 5.21. says this, listen to it carefully. For our sake, and you can just put your name in there, whatever your name is, for, for my sake, God made Jesus... To be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When we place our faith in Jesus, Jesus' no sin becomes our no sin. And as a result, we become right with God and right with him forever. And the big point here is yet again, this becomes a reality in our lives when we simply believe that it's true. When we simply place our faith in Jesus and his cross. And so here's what it all comes down to. Here's the big question today, and it's really the biggest question ever. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? And I want to be clear about what I mean by faith. Because there's, there's a real lack of clarity about faith today. When I, when I say faith, I'm not talking about a generic faith. I'm not talking about being a person of faith. I'm not talking about what President Eisenhower was talking about when he said this. Our American form of government has no sense unless it is founded in a deeply felt religious faith. 
You know what the next line is? And I don't care what it is. And this, this is what a lot of Americans think. It's like, I just need to have faith, and it doesn't matter what my faith is in. But friends, this just isn't the case. You see, it's the object of faith that ultimately matters. Our faith doesn't save us. Jesus saves us. So, so let me give you an example here. Suppose that I need to get to Chicago. And I decide, you know, I think I can fly there myself. And so I go out and I buy some stretchy pants, a red cape, and I uh, paint an S on my chest. I'm like, I've got a lot of faith. I really believe I can do this. And so I go up onto the third story of my house, okay, on the roof, and I decide I can do this. I've got a lot of faith. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. And I jump off. What's going to happen? What's going to happen is I'm going to end up in the emergency room, if not the morgue. Because my faith is misplaced. I've got all kinds of faith, but it's not in the right object, right? On the other hand, suppose that I'm smarter and decide, you know, I need to get to Chicago, so I'm going to go to the Southeast Iowa Regional Airport and get on one of those eight-seater planes that they've got there, all right? Now, if I do that, my faith might be a little shaky. (laughs) In fact, it's a funny story here. The first time I went on one of those, the same person uh, checked me in, uh, tagged my baggage, took my ticket loaded up the plane, and de-iced the plane. And I'm like, if they're getting in the, the cockpit here, I'm getting off. <laughs> so, but my, my faith is a little shaky, all right? But I got on the plane. You know what? I got on the plane, and I made it there. I made it safe. You know why? Because it wasn't about my faith. It was about the object of my faith. My, my uh, faith was in the right thing. It was in the pilot and the plane, and because that was the case, I made it safely. And this is how it works with justification by faith. It's not simply being a person of faith or having faith. It's having your faith in the right object, the right person. It's having your faith in in Jesus. And here's the wonderful truth about this, is that you don't have to have a strong faith. You don't have to have a faith that never has any doubts. You don't have to have a faith that doesn't have any questions. And in fact, for many of you, you you do have questions and you have issues uh, with the church. You may even have issues with the Bible, questions you're not exactly sure about. There there might be a lot of things that don't make sense to you. But here's the thing, that what it really comes down to is does Jesus make sense to you? Do you see that he is the son of God? Do you see that he did come to this world? Do you see that he did die on the cross and that he did rise again? And more importantly, do you see that he did it for you? Can I just say, he did this for you. Good Friday is for you. Easter is for you. It's for you. And so, again, the cross is for you. He died for you. He rose again for you. The question is, is he coming again for you? And that question is only answered by whether or not you have faith in Jesus Christ. Now, let me, let me tell you, and I'm, I'm almost done here. I really am land, landing the plane, okay? I'm landing the plane. But, but here's the thing. How can you know that this is true? That all this stuff that I'm talking about today, how can you know that it's true? You can know it's true because of what we're here to celebrate today. You can know it's true because of the resurrection. You've been wondering when I'm going to get to the resurrection? Well, here it is. At the end of Romans chapter 4, verse 25, Paul says this. He says that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses, for our sins, and he was raised for our justification. The resurrection. What is the resurrection about? Well, one of the things it's about is about God's stamp of approval on Jesus' sacrifice for our sin. You may remember that on the cross, Jesus cried out right before he took his last breath, it is finished. What does that mean? 
It means that he had completely paid for our sins. He completely done everything for us to be saved, for us to have eternal life. And the resurrection is God's stamp of approval saying that is true. And if I could just say this to you, friends, Jesus was a real person. He is a real person. He really did live, and he really did die, and he really did come out of the tomb. And I'm not just saying that because the Bible says it. History proves that it's true. There is all kinds of evidence that all of what we're talking about today is true. And so the question is, are you going to place your faith in Jesus Christ, if you will. And listen, again, placing your faith simply means that you surrender, that you give your life to Jesus. It does not mean all your doubts have to go away, all your questions need to be answered. I've been doing this for a long time. I still have questions, I still have doubts, but my, my faith still wavers. But glory to God, it doesn't rest on my faith, it rests on Jesus. And if you will give your life to Jesus, the, moment, the instant that you do, the instant that you do, you will have that self-worth, you will have that identity, and you will have that salvation that you have always been looking for. And I've been praying for you this week. I've been praying for you this week because for some of you, your life is going to utterly change today. And it's going to change forever.